Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. Hi, everybody. This is Petey from Petrifaction Horror Stories. Just want to say thanks for joining me today. We're going to have another great show. Today's show is about the Philip experiment, Slender Man, and creation of a tulpa. So what's a tulpa? It's kind of like a thought form. It's said, and this is in Buddhist beliefs, Buddhist belief systems, that if you think on something hard enough, you can make it manifest that's what the experiment the Philip experiment was all about and that's kind of what slender man might be you know because it was definitely made up slender man it was a contest that somebody won creating slender man and then from there it just took off and it's kind of an entity of its own now so anyway those are the cases we're going to get into today and I want to go ahead and get started with the show you're going to love it Is it possible to create an entity using nothing more than your mind? Many believe that this was done back in 1970 by a group of parapsychologists in Canada, while others believe it was nothing more than parlor tricks. This experiment was recorded and is accessible online for viewing. It's called the Philip Experiment. The experiment was conducted by a Toronto Parapsychological Research Society led by mathematical geneticist Dr. A. R. George Owen and overseen by psychologist Dr. Joel Witten. The test group consisted of Owen's wife, Iris, former chairperson of Mensa in Canada, Margaret Sparrow, industrial designer Andy H., his wife, Lauren, heating engineer, Al Peacock, accountant, Bernice M., bookkeeper, Dorothy O'Donnell, and sociology student, Sidney K. 
they decided to conduct a study to prove that an entity could manifest itself by using nothing but the thoughts of individuals. The theory in itself is not a new one. Buddhists have long believed this to be true. They call this entity Atopa. Atopa is a thought form that is so heavily concentrated upon it ends up taking on a life of its own. Much like an imaginary friend, Atopa starts out as a character that's thought up by a person. However, after much thought about said character, the character starts to develop a personality independent of the thinkers. They first had to come up with a backstory to really give the entity a life. The following is the biography they came up with. Philip was an aristocratic Englishman living in the middle of the 1600s at the time of Oliver Cromwell. He'd been a supporter of the king and was a Catholic. He was married to a beautiful but cold and frigid wife, Dorothea, the daughter of a neighboring nobleman. One day, when out riding on the boundaries of his estates, Philip came across a gypsy encampment and saw there a beautiful dark-haired girl. Her name was Margot, and he fell instantly in love with her. He brought her back secretly to live in the gatehouse near the stables of Diddington Manor, his family home. For some time, he kept his love nest secret, but eventually Dorothea, realizing he was keeping someone else there, found Margot and accused her of witchcraft and stealing her husband. Philip was too scared of losing his reputation and his possessions to protest at the trial of Margot, and she was convicted of witchcraft and burned at the stake. Philip was consequently stricken with remorse that he had not tried to defend Margot and would pace the battlements of Diddington in despair. Finally, one morning his body was found at the bottom of the battlements, where he had cast himself in a fit of agony and remorse. Now that they had his biography, they needed to come up with a visualization of what Philip should look like. One of the researchers came up with what they thought he should look like, and some say that the recreation of Philip looked a lot like Jesus. All aspects of Philip had now been created, and it was time to go ahead with the experiment. The group would get together and talk of Philip's life as if they had really known him. As well as talking about his life, they would also meditate about him. This continued for a year. Philip never showed any sign that he was there. When he had not shown himself, they decided to take the experiment on a new approach that had shown some interesting results in the 19th century, a seance. The new way of conducting this study continued for about a month when finally Philip made himself known. At first, the table would vibrate and shake. This isn't the only activity that they would experience. It is said the table itself would move around the room. He was also said to control the lighting in the room on command. 
Now that they were getting activity, they needed to make sure that none of the researchers were making it happen. As a way to make sure that none of the researchers were moving the table, it said that paper dollies were placed under their hands to make sure that they could not move the table. The use of the dollies was to show hand movement. If any of the participants pressed down upon the table, the pressure would cause the dollies to slip across the table, and thus showing the participants were causing the movement. This, inevitably, ended up not being the case. They also went as far as to record each person making knocks in different audible ranges and comparing them to Philip's knocks. They were said to not have the same reverberation as his did. Of course, the group already knew the answers to their questions. They'd created him, after all, and everything about his life. But the answers were consistent, and eventually he began to reveal new details about his past life, which contained oddly accurate information regarding actual historic events. He even developed his own personality, and occasionally the lights in the room would flicker, and the table would levitate. Unexplainable noises were often heard throughout the room. The group even videotaped their sessions and invited the public in to view their seance. At one point, a whole new group was used and the same results ensued. Although audio, video, and witness accounts document the paranormal phenomena, Philip never appeared to the participants. You can view an account of this experiment on YouTube by looking for the Philip Experiment. I have found one of the seance being performed. It was a group of eight that touched hands on top of the table and began the seance by calling for Philip. At one point, you see the table levitate, and it's really kind of intriguing. Like, I don't know how they'd fake that anyway. It was, it was, it was, it was odd. It was wild. So if you check out the show notes, for, you'll find the link for the YouTube video that I watched, and uh, you'll be able to go in and watch it yourself. I think it's really cool. Hope that you do too. A possible example of a topa created on the internet is that of the figure Slenderman. Slenderman, a tall, thin, supernatural creature with featureless face, originated in 2009 when a user on the Something Awful forum posted photoshopped pictures depicting the tall, creepy figure in the background. From there spawned more photos and stories posted by multiple users, eventually eventually creating a backstory for Slenderman, and thus creating an urban legend. There are those that believe that because of the persistent presence and following of Slenderman on the internet, the stories could create a topa if they haven't already. While the origins of Slenderman are well documented and clearly a thing of fiction, there are still those who claim to believe in him. Most notable was a terrible event in 2014 when two 12-year-old girls who claimed to be followers of Slenderman lured a friend into the woods and stabbed her 19 times 
to appease him. This was not a topa at work, but the actions of two young girls whose line between reality and fiction had been blurred. However, if such stories could inspire such intense and horrible action, I think it's possible that if enough people were to focus their belief and intention into one idea, even unintentionally, it could create something living and possibly dangerous. In popular culture, the experiment, the Philip experiment, also incidentally known as the Philip ghost, loosely inspired the apparition released in 2012 and the quiet ones released in 2014. Creating a tulpa isn't something that most people would advise in trying, especially if you're a believer in Tibetan lore. Though the idea of creating a sentient thought form with your mind sounds really cool, it comes with serious dangers. One of the most famous cautionary tales comes from a French explorer called Alexandra David Neal. Neal studied Tibetan religion during her travels and eventually attempted to create a tulpa. Her tulpa was meant to be a fat, jolly monk who would follow her around. At first, nothing really happened, but that quickly changed. Soon, she started to see the heavyset form of a monk flit through the corners of the room. The tulpa then started to appear to her, then to others, and then started to talk to her. And that's when the problem started. The monk, once joyous and plump, started to get more slender. As he lost weight, he started to become more menacing. I think he was hangry. People started to remark about the malevolence around Dr. Neil, though the Tulpa would only interact with her. Eventually, Neil began to fear for her life. Neil realized she needed to work against the creature she'd created, and with the help of some Tibetan monks, she was able to get rid of the being. Neil never quite forgot what happened in, Di in Tibet. Oddly enough, Dr. Neil's story isn't the only cautionary tale against Tulpamancy. Traditional beliefs about tulpas regularly suggest that these beings can grow resentful of their creators and the tasks that they're expected to perform. Some rumors even suggest that tulpas that grow too resentful can kill their creators. All over the world, enigmatic artifacts have been found that do not fit the accepted geologic or historical timeline. Do they offer a radically different view of our world? Although mysterious, these findings are not quite as compelling because they could have been either forged or misinterpreted. These are maps and drawings, of course. We start with the Piri Reis map. Piri Reis, a Turkish admiral, an avid collector of old maps, compiled information he'd gathered into a map of his own in 1513. Astonishingly, his map depicts the coastal outlines of North and South America and of Antarctica, which was not officially discovered until 1818. 
Scholars aren't sure what to make of the maps etched on a rock. Do they crudely depict the continents of Earth as they appeared long ago, including the lands of Mew and Atlantis? Or, as some have suggested, do they show the lands of some other planet? To be impartial, however, they could also merely depict divisions of some smaller tracts of land. The Ica Stones In 1966, Dr. Javier Cabrera, a Peruvian physician and professor of biology, was given a rock for his birthday from a local peasant. On it was a picture of a fish, allegedly carved thousands of years ago. Upon further study, Cabrera realized that fish depicted was of a species that had been extinct for millions of years. Cabrera hunted down the source of the mysterious rock and found many others like it in the Inca Peru, thousands of them. On one of them, carved impossible ancient scenes, telescopes, open-heart surgery, and even men battling dinosaurs. And discovered on the walls of a temple in Abydos, Egypt, are hieroglyphics that closely resemble modern aircraft in profile. There's a helicopter, an airplane, and some kind of hovercraft or flying disc. On to some strange out-of-place and out-of-time discoveries. Yeah, the ancient modern tools. While quarrying limestone in 1786, workers came to a bed of sand about 50 feet below ground level. In the layer of sand, they found the stumps of stone pillars and fragments of half-worked rock. Digging further, they found coins, the petrified wooden handles of hammers, and pieces of other petrified wooden tools. The sand in which the discovery was made was beneath a layer of limestone dated at 300 million years old. In June of 1851, Scientific American reprinted a report from the Boston Transcript about a metallic vase found in two parts. It was dynamited out of solid rock 15 feet below the surface in Dorchester, Massachusetts. The bell-shaped vase was composed of a zinc and silver alloy. On the sides were figures of flowers in bouquet arrangements inlaid with pure silver. The estimated age of the rock out of which it came was 100,000 years. In 1865, a two-inch metal screw was discovered in a piece of feldspar unearthed from the Abbey Mine in Treasure City, Nevada. The screw had long ago oxidized but its form, particularly the shape of the threads, could be clearly seen in the feldspar. The stone was calculated to be 21 million years in age. In 1991-93, gold prospectors on the Narada River on the eastern side of the Ural Mountains in Russia found unusual mostly spiral-shaped objects 
the smallest measuring about one ten thousandth of an inch. The objects are composed of copper and the rare metals tungsten and molybdenum. Tests showed the objects to be between 20,000 and 318,000 years old. There's also a Grand Canyon mystery. In 1931, Dr. F. Bruce Russell claimed to have found strange underground tunnels in the Death Valley area. Now, according to a story, he discovered winding tunnels containing artifacts that appeared to be a combination of Egyptian and American Indian. There were also mummies there, he said, that were over eight feet tall. As far as we know, no one's ever rediscovered Russell's mysterious tunnels. Ed Conrad has found impossibly old fossilized human bones embedded in solid shell rock in Pennsylvania. These bones look human, but the rock in which they were trapped is between 280 and 380 million years old. In February of 2014, the family of Walter Williams got the surprise of their lives. It all started when Williams passed away in his home, and just like any other case, the coroner checked for a pulse and, when he didn't find one, pronounced Williams dead. The following day, as funeral home workers were getting ready to embalm the elderly man, he started moving inside the body bag. The only explanation that the coroner could come up with was that perhaps Williams' pacemaker temporarily stopped working and then started again, causing Williams to come back from the dead. In 1993, Tommy Gray of Utica was at his camp in Warren County in the swamps of the Big Black River. That was turkey hunting, Gray said. It was probably 6.45 in the morning. I could barely see the ground. Standing on the back porch of his camp, Gray heard a turkey gobble on its roost and decided it was time to go into the woods to set up. I took off in a fast trot down the road, Gray said. I could see the road because it was light colored. There was a fence right there. It got real close to the property line. Gray was briskly walking about two feet from the adjacent property when he heard a loud sound inches from his head. He thought he was about to meet a grisly death. Brown said he heard. I actually felt moisture hit the side of my face. I knew something had come out of the swamp and got me. I knew a swamp monster had got me. I screamed like a little girl and fell on the ground and peed myself. As he sat there, he realized that nothing was after him. After it happened, I remembered there's a mule on that property, Gray said. Dang, that thing took ten years off of my life. After returning home from their honeymoon in September of 2015, Carol Ann and Ronald Morris 
found some type of strange animal in their toilet bowl. Similar looking critters, which could not be identified by experts at the Jackson Zoo, have been found in other Clinton homes. This is from Redditor Hydraulic Turtle. When I was about four years old, we were driving through Scotland. I'd never been to Scotland before, and we stopped at this pub in a small village in the Cairngorms. I got out of the car and said, oh, my favorite place, which my parents thought was a little bit weird. They sat down and got a drink, and my dad looked around and said, where are the toilets? I apparently leapt up and took him by the hand straight to the toilets, which were actually tucked away behind a fake wall. Again, my parents were a bit unsettled, but just assumed I had seen them on the way in. And then it got weird. I was telling my mom about how much I used to love coming here and sitting beside the fire. There actually wasn't a fire in the pub at all, so mom laughed and asked me, What fire? I pointed to the wall and said, that there used to be a fire over there, and she shrugged it off. But then I carried on and went into more detail. I claimed that I used to live out here and came in the pub nearly every day. I was friends with the owner, Fred. My mom went and spoke to one of the bar staff and asked if there was a man named Fred here, to which she replied, Oh no, sorry, miss. Fred died over ten years ago now. My little brother used to tell my mom and I that he died when he was 11 by being hit by a car. He said our mom was his mom before, and when he died, she was crying at his headstone. He said this many times between when he could first talk until he was about six years old or so, so it wasn't a one-time thing. In the story, he always was 11, always died by being hit by a car, and it was always our mom crying at his headstone. Now, at 19 years old, her brother still remembers his death. He says he remembers telling us about it a lot, but only vaguely remembers his death like as if it were a dream. Our oldest son is named after a Marine that was killed on my husband's last deployment. On a drive to my sister-in-law's house, we passed the military base where his namesake is buried. We'd never visited his grave with our then three-year-old. As we were driving right past the area where his grave is, our son tells us, just matter-of-factly, I'm buried over there. We stop our conversation and ask him to repeat himself. I'm buried over there in the ground, you know, from when I died when I was fighting bad guys with Daddy. Before I was your kid, he said and then just went back to whatever three-year-old game he'd been playing. He'd never even visited that side of the city where we were in and had no clue that the graveyard was even there. Two-year-old James Leininger, a Louisiana boy who loved toy planes, had this story to tell. He started to have repeated nightmares of a horrible plane crash. 
he would kick his legs up in the air, screaming, Airplane crash on fire. Little man can't get out. Then, during the day, he would slam his toy planes into the family's coffee table and yell, Airplane crash on fire! to the extent that there were dozens of scratches and dents on the table. James talked about the crash, relating that he had been a pilot and that he had flown off a boat. His father asked him the name of the boat, and he said, Natoma. When his father remarked, That sounds Japanese to me, James replied, No, it's an American. James went on to say that he had piloted a type of plane called a Corsair, that his nickname was Little Man, and that he had a friend on the boat named Jack Larson. After years of painstaking research, James' father learned that an American aircraft carrier, the USS Natoma Bay, had supported operations at Iwo Jima during World War II, and that it had lost one pilot there, a young man from Pennsylvania named James Houston. His plane crashed almost exactly as described, hit in the engine, exploding, crashing into the water, and quickly sinking. And the pilot in the plane next to his, when this happened, was named Jack Larson. That's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and friends be prepared to be petrified. <laughs>